0: Hello and welcome to Big Sound Small Town, I'm your host Sandy Carlton. The small towns and communities of Cleveland County, North Carolina have long been a hotbed of music in all its many forms. Several Cleveland County musicians have found commercial success and critical acclaim in the music industry. Yeah, everybody knows Earl Scruggs, Don Gibson, Patty Loveless, and Alicia Bridges are from Cleveland County. Donald Byrd, too. So this is not a podcast about them. This is a podcast about the musicians who are still here to keep music alive here. This is the stories, and you need to know them and know the people who are making the music. This is not, this is not your normal podcast. 1955 by hang coleman we recorded that uh in the Earl scruggs center but we did this interview at the dragonfly wine market and we talked about everything from songs and songwriting to hot air balloons give it a listen Today on Big Sound, Small Town, we're coming to you live from the Dragonfly Wine Market on Warren Street in Shelby, North Carolina. My guest today is singer, songwriter, frontman, and artist, Hank Coleman. All right, I'm here with Hank Coleman. He's going to tell us a little bit about how he got into the music business to begin with and maybe where even his love of music started.
1: All right. Uh Doing this,
0: it's okay. <coughs> uh, it's a casual atmosphere.
1: I started playing drums. Uh,
0: How old would you have been then?
1: I was in elementary school. Okay, uh, took a few lessons, but mostly picked up drums off of 45 records.
0: The drop needle deal, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, everybody, everybody our age knows. <coughs> We all learned off of forty-five records. I'm assuming, yes. Uh, but we, uh, I'd stay downstairs. They put me downstairs, and uh, I play those things for hours. And uh, I've still got probably a 45's that I've learned. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as well as probably a thousand thirty-threes you know mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that's where I started and
0: uh, what were you we were, listening to on those 45s and what what kind of music were you listening uh, to oh well it's,
1: it's everything I mean uh, I've got the Tempests I've got uh, the Doors I've got the Beatles I've got I mean you know so you were learning to play drums from them yeah oh yeah and, that's cool uh, I'd pick up the I'd hear the sound and recreate it, you know. Uh, I did that for about three years and we moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Marion, North Carolina. And uh, I was, I've been drawing pictures ever since I was four. used to be a program on TV called John Nagy Learned to Draw.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, he taught me.
0: I was wondering how you learned to do it.
1: And, uh, so uh, we moved to Berry and they said, well, I was going to, I was a sophomore in high school. And they said, uh, what, do you, uh, what do you want to take for an elective? I said, I want to take art. <laughs> well, we don't have art. I said, but that's what I do. We don't have it. I said, well, what are my choices? You've got band and you've got gym. I said, I'm not going back to gym. I said, I play drums. I said, but I don't read music. They said, we'll teach you. And uh, honestly, man, when I moved to Marion, now you've got to consider Marion, North Carolina in 1967. It was like going back in time to 1957.
0: Oh, I'm sure it was. And,
1: uh, but. In that little small town, there were three nine-piece, blue-eyed soul bands uh-huh. in that town. Really? And they all came out of that high school band. Wow. And our our third chairs would have been first chairs in Charlotte. Wow. That's great. And uh, we go to Bristol. We went to Bristol like 11 years and got superiors on marching band and symphonic band. <laughs> they, I don't know if you've ever heard the song, Black Horse Troop, but it's a John Phillips Sousa song. And uh, that was what we came out on the field with. Wow. And, I mean, that's a symphonic march. Yeah, that is. And uh, that's what we came out on the field with. But uh, we played in the band. I got in a band there about, probably about three or four weeks after I got to Maryland. And uh, as a drummer, as a drummer, and uh, band was called Continental Express, and uh, we had maybe two changes through high school because people graduated, right. and uh, we were awesome. I mean, it, it was one of the best technical bands I have ever played with, and that was in high school. We had over 400, or 400 songs in our repertoire. Wow. We could go in, we would go into a practice and learn three songs if it was not, and they were nine piece instrument songs. Wow. And uh, uh, if we didn't have, if we didn't come out with at least two or three songs under our belt. It wasn't a good practice.
0: Now, what kind of music was this?
1: This was the blue-eyed soul. Okay, good. Uh, it was soul music played Watch. by black boys. Yep, I understand. Uh, but uh, we were good, man. Uh, There's no recorders of it, no documentation of it whatsoever, except one photograph on a Polaroid. <laughs> oh and
0: man, that's a shame. We were goofy
1: looking, that's but a shame. Uh, we had. We had the tuxes and all that mess. Did the steps? I oh, did the whole whole shebang. Whole shebang, man. It was and it was good. I mean, we we were a darn good band. But uh, high school Lover and everybody went their separate ways. Honestly, I haven't talked but a couple of them since uh, out of high school. Uh, I don't even know how many of us are still alive from that. But. Uh,
0: so, so, so when, what was the next step after that? Um,
1: I moved, moved from Marion to Newton. And I got in a band there with a guy I still play with from time to time, uh, Eddie Rose. Uh, he's awesome, uh, he's kind of like you, he plays every bloody thing, I, I can't stand him. <laughs> I love them to death, but Yeah I know that's but uh we got we put a band together. Uh I went to CVCC, Top of Valley Community <laughs> College and uh we met there. Met Chess Club. And he just asked me, you know, we got to talking, we Learned that each other, we each played instruments, and so I started playing drums. We put a band together, and uh, her darn good band, too. Uh, Eddie, this was right during the Allen Brothers,
2: okay, 1970s, like so early rock now
0: basically.
1: And uh, so we put when we put the band together, we played strictly covers, right? Everything was covered, but then I heard Allen Brothers. I went to Love Valley and heard the Alderman Brothers. Oh, yeah. And uh, I came back. I said, man, you got to hear this. And uh, I gave him a record. I, gave, I, I bought a... Again, we go back to the vinyl. Right. I bought a 33 album of the Allman Brothers Band. Fillmore East? No, this was before. Oh, okay. This was the Allman Brothers Band.
0: Okay, got you.
1: <laughs> and uh, I... Uh, Phil Maurice is another story. <laughs> uh, so I gave him, let him borrow the album. Came back in a week and he knew it. Oh, man. Knew it. Oh, man. Well, then when of the Wild South came out,
0: yep.
1: let him borrow that. So everything we played was pretty much all of brothers except for some canned Heat, uh, Deep Purple. Uh, still can't stand to play uh, a couple of those songs. Yeah, I understand. Uh, but... Uh, then the Fillmore came out, and I said, "Man, we we need to alter some of these songs to where we can jam on."
0: Right.
1: Came back a week later. And he needed whipping post. Note for note, he knew Hot Lana, yeah. Note for note, oh, wow, he knew in the memory of Elizabeth Reed. Note for note, I'm impressed. I will. Well, I've always been impressed. That's why I hate him so much.
0: Yeah, I can see. I'm I'm hating him now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the boy's a genius. And the thing is, now he's got arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, oh, and his fingers so bad he literally puts the guitar on, mm. and then just smoke starts coming off the neck, which, you know, I, oh, yeah. I don't have anyone to wear arthritis and I can't do that. Yeah, I'm hating you. Yeah, I'm hating But uh, anyway, that band went defunct after about two years. And after that, I went back to school and started art so started to art artwork. went to uh, Central Piedmont Community College. and. At that time, I was going to take commercial graphics, which was you know just right. basically drawing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at that time, television graphics was TV graphics was the thing. Uh, they were, they said this is going to be an upcoming uh, venue that you can get in and actually make some money out. I said, well that's cool. I, I you know because back then uh, when you saw the screen. Shots and stuff like that. All they did was project a, 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 a slide onto a screen and took a picture of it. You know, that was technology back then. And uh, we were going to go one step above that. Well, stayed in that program for about a year. And we came in one morning and we were informed that the teacher had died, oh.
0: <laughs>
1: and it was gonna be two more years before they could find anybody that was up to speed uh, to uh, take his place.
0: So we're looking at a career change.
1: Yeah, so I had met, you You and I both know Marvin Jones. Yes. And so I'd met Marvin, we parted some, broke, well we wasn't, this was before we was here. Right. Uh, this was when he was at PPG. And uh, so we parted. We were both interested in sports cars, and uh, I said, "Man, I gotta do something." I said, "Cause I can't wait two years to Why? get tied in on this again." So we started working on sports cars. We started a company called a sports car shop called the ss E S S E S, which is a chain of road terms right. on the racetrack, not NASCAR.
0: Right, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm glad you uh, <laughs> clarified that. <laughs> Some revelation. people might have
1: to This is true. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I did the logo for it. And uh, we worked the old cars together for 14 years. Wow. And the technology just outran me. And once again, I was in for a career change. And uh, I went back to school. Well, I went to uh, Toyota next. And uh, just working in the parts department. And the guys there at that time, I'd already, we'd already, Marvin and I put together a race car. and I, I got to race it, it as an MG midget, mainly because Marvin couldn't fit in it. <laughs> uh, but uh, I got to race it. And uh, so they knew I was kind of crazy. I, I knew I'd jumped out of an airplane or two. Right. And uh, knew I played on stage, so they knew I was a ham, and so one day they, I was walking down the hallway, and they came up to me and they said, uh, "We need to talk to you." And I said, "Oh man, what have we done?" They said, uh, "We bought a balloon." I said, "What, like you flying?" Said, yeah, big red balloon. I said. Uh, man, can I have a ride? He said, no, we need a pilot. <laughs> I said, man, I don't know nothing about a pilot in a balloon. He said, we don't know anything about owning one either. And uh, so they called me into the office. Bill Norwood, I don't know if you remember Mr. Bill from Channel 13. Is, yes. Bill Norwood was in there. We shook hands. I was impressed because Mr. Bill had been one of my right. ever since I was yeah. a kid, you know. And uh, so, they got to talking. Uh, they'd already signed the papers, so there wasn't no backing out. I don't think there's a three-day waiting period for satisfaction <laughs> on hot air balloon. Uh, but anyway, they'd already signed the papers. And Bill asked me, he said, well, what are you gonna use for a chase vehicle? And they said, a what? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, here goes, the, here goes this job. They said, "Well, it don't come back." They said, "It doesn't." And until my dying day, I swear, what they were going to do. Now, this is this is just me. <laughs> this is just me. What they were planning on doing with that hard air balloon was delivering parts in it.
3: Oh no! I swear, man. Well, oh, no.
1: listen to the questions. <laughs> what are you going to use for a chase vehicle? A <laughs> what? Oh, that's well, that's it doesn't come is. back. It doesn't. Well, not usually, no. So how do you got it? You don't. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, I swear to my dying day, they were going to deliver parts in it. But anyway, that gig lasted for about two years. And then they sold the Toyota place again. I'd already gone through eight owners at Toyota by that time. Wow, Wow. I mean, I don't remember if you remember the one where they had all the car carriers lined up Highway 74. yeah, yeah. I was there during that. Oh, that man. was like a. That was kind of like a, the last days of Vietnam. Yeah, I bet it was. But uh, anyway, after that, uh, I just I had started writing by then, and I had met my wife via the hot air ballooning. The we hot air ballooning.
0: On. Huh. The hot air ballooning.
1: I went. That's how we met. Really. Yeah. Uh, my instructor. We would go to uh, Pancake House.
0: So, wait, wait. So, you wound up flying this thing? Yes, I ended up
1: flying. (laughs) I ended up flying. Oh, I I failed to mention that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But uh, the instructor decided he wanted to take breakfast at whether we did an early morning flight, we would come in and then take ground school at Pancake House. Or if we were going to do an evening flight, we would go in and take lunch at the Pancake House and prepare. And I met my wife, Lori, there. Okay. And so, uh, <clears throat> by that time I was already writing music. Uh, I started writing it, probably. The first song, I guess, I ever wrote and kept was probably in 1974.
0: Now, now. At this point, were you playing guitar or were you doing this? By that
1: time, yes, because I had no band, and it's kind of hard to make music on drums. Yeah, it is by yourself. And I was tired of the 45s.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, once you, once you, it it was weird that once you actually play with somebody, it's hard to go back to a 45 and play over. A, a drum with I'm Premier sure for drums there. it would be. And so I had quit playing drums uh, probably about 1973. And uh, I, I just lost the separation of appendages. Uh, when you play drums, your right hand can't know what your left hand's doing, or your left foot know what your right hand's doing. I understand. And uh, I mean, I can still keep a beat, but I can't. Anticipate, right. you know, I mean, I had gotten to the point where I could do a two stroke roll with one hand. Oh, yeah, that's good. And play with the other. Right. Uh, and I just lost it, you know. And so by that time, I'd already picked up guitar and had started writing. And uh, I think 73, probably Esther, was the first one that I ever kept and actually have kept current enough to play. You still do it? Eh, yeah, sort of. I mean, you know, I've got to listen to it a couple of times to... Remember it. To remember (laughs) it all. But, uh, anyway, you know, uh, at that point, I had, like I say, we'd been working on cars. And uh, one day I pulled the light switch out of a Spitfire, Triumph Spitfire. And... Might have been a TR6, but anyway, it was one of those trials. And usually you expect to see Lucas on the back, Lord of Darkness, inventor of the intermittent windshield wipers, the reason British drink warm beer, you know, (laughs) uh, Lucas refrigerators. Uh, But I uh, looked on the back of this for some reason and it said Clear Hooter.
0: Ah, I wondered about that.
1: And uh, I said, uh, man, that is the name of my next band.
0: I always wondered where that name came from. They
1: make make light switches and
0: horns. Hence the name, Clear
2: Hooters.
0: And for all you people who thought that meant something else, you have the truth. (laughs) Right now, right here from the man.
1: (laughs) But uh, (coughs) anyway... We, uh, shortly after I found that, it's like I started playing with a couple of guys. And Tom Forney was one of them. Yeah. And
0: uh,
1: it seemed like they just seemed to move the stuff around as to play it. Right. And to me, anytime you move equipment, you have an opportunity to break it. True. And I had a place for everybody to play, and I finally just got tired of moving the stuff. I said, boys. I said, let's just call this one quits. I said, you know. And uh, shortly after that, I started, I met uh, Ronnie Ellis. And um, I was trying to think who else was in on it to start with. Todd Black. Ronnie Ellis and Todd Black. We ended up starting a trio. And that was the initial clear hooter.
3: Okay.
1: And then we added... uh, Roger Beaver. Yeah, and uh, the last generation of it, Ronnie had moved to South Carolina, and we got uh, Steve Johnson, who I found later was an awesome sax player, and uh, we started playing around, and we'd actually got to the point where people were calling us, you know, and. One day they said, "Don't want to do this no more."
0: Oh, yeah, I understand that well. Too. And
1: so I went back to art, and that's when I started doing the aviation art, right?
0: Which and, is which is uh, another podcast altogether, which we'll do at some point.
1: <laughs> but uh, I ended up meeting some of the best people doing that that I have ever met in my life. I mean, because it was the greatest generation, mm-hmm. and they were telling me stories about. Their their trials and tribulations during World War II, well, and I would draw.
0: Give them a give them a quick synopsis of what you were drawing at this time.
1: Uh, basic basically, they would tell me a story of something that happened to them in an air combat. It was all air combat because I'm just into avi- I've just always been into aviation and the, yeah, the ballooning set that off. Yeah, hot
0: air pilot. Because
1: yeah. I could actually. I was, for the first time, I could actually go up and I could actually see, you know, what it looked like on my own, at my own speed, my own time, and absorb it, you know. And uh, that's what actually got me started into drawing the airplanes. Okay. But uh, they were World War II aircraft, and they were all—all the drawings I've got like 36 of them. They're based on an actual incidents as told to me by a particular airman.
0: That is pretty cool.
1: And uh, I've got a couple of them that just still raised the hair on my arms. Uh, in 1999, we got a, one of the best things that came out of it was in 1999, we got a pilot of one of the B-17s, a posthumous Distinguished Flying Cross, uh, for his actions. That's wonderful. On a particular day, uh, back in 1944 uh but anyway uh the the is what got me into that and the it, it, everything just kind of came together right at that time I, I ended up getting married and you have songs that you write that just come uh you have songs you write that take forever it seems right. like yeah you, you do know? and you some of them you never get you never you scrap them right. uh, but the night I got married we left the church in the hot airport oh
2: man I and
1: uh, Steve Metcalf took videos yeah I know Steve well they uh,
0: Here with Hank Coleman, and we're talking about music, and we're off on the flying part of music.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, it was what I was saying was you know sometimes songs just drop out of the air, and then sometimes literally in your in your instance, and, I did. Yeah, and uh, sometimes I mean you know you throw them away, but uh, I got married and we left the balloon, left the church in a hot air balloon, and. Uh, when I came home that night, uh, you know Barry Honeycutt? I know who he is, yeah. Okay. Well, Barry had brought a bottle of tequila with the chase vehicle. <laughs> and by the time I got home, he probably ruined my, he, my wife still blames him for that, <laughs> uh, ruined my honeymoon night. But I did come into the house. Now, this was December 9th, and it was pretty cool. And I came into the house. And went into the front room, turned all the lights, and there's no heat in the front room, and just a fireplace at that time. And uh, I could see my breath. And uh, click, you know. And uh, the line came: She entered the room from cold winter's night, and her breath reflected the light. Her silhouette yeah. reached for the lock and the key, and she's turned. She said, "Kindle a fire." <laughs> It. and within 30 minutes High Flying was down you know a gift a wedding gift oh, yeah well that's probably one of the reasons she stayed with me because <laughs> at least I wrote her a song <laughs> yeah,
0: that works a lot you know I've made a lot of amends yeah, with yeah.
1: songs it's, it's, it's weird what makes them come about it is songs. I mean uh, <laughs> I mean <clears throat> I see stuff going down the road. Uh, I've got one song. There's a picture of the the statue up on Reverb Nation Hank Cole. Plug, plug. Yeah, we're going to get to Hank Cole in just a little Uh, bit. They took it down one time. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, But I put it back up, graphics on it that says sometimes songs just write themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've traveled down high, Highway Number 5 yeah.
0: often. I'll, 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 too much
1: uh, If you remember back about four or five years ago, there was a statue of a naked lady standing there. There was? Yes, sir. I, I
0: forgot all about yeah, that.
1: Yes, sir. No, I didn't. And I had to go by that every morning. Every morning. <laughs> I was sandblasting up in Granite Falls doing tombstones, which is a whole other story. Uh, but uh, you just can't pass that every day. And come back by every night without Mm -hmm. Hank writing something. (laughs) You know, (laughs) Uh, Hank is the alter ego.
0: Yeah, let's talk. Let's go into Hank. Talk about Hank. Yeah, let's (laughs) talk about Hank. All right, now, now, just, just give me the whole
1: Hank Cole deal. My name is Hank Coleman, and Hank has been a pain (laughs) most of my life. When I went to Central Piedmont, they lost my records because they put them under Wayne. I had to go back and take my exam again. Made 100 points higher, and then they found it.
0: Oh, of course.
1: Uh, You've always got to spell it. Yes. H-A-Y-N-E, not H-A-N-E, not H-A-N-E-S, not H-A-Y-N-E-S. So uh, anyway, uh, Glenn Drake called me up one day. I'd, I'd write these songs. And I'd go over to a buddy of mine, Glenn Drake's house, and I'd bounce him off of Yeah. You know, we'd drink beer at twelve and yeah. I'd bounce him off of. And he said he'd started playing bass. And you know, pretty much basically just started. But he was a you know, bump, bump, bump yeah. Yeah. kind that of. That works.
0: That works ninety percent of the stuff. And that's
1: usually most of the lick. Yeah, yeah. it is. Not Sorry, Mike, I didn't mean that.
0: Well, I, I understand, But uh, being a bass player,
1: totally,
0: <laughs> I understand.
1: But anyway, <laughs> uh, Glenn said, we need to start a band. I said, are you a fool? He said, no, he said, you got all these songs, nobody hears them, what good are they? I said, but do you understand how big a pain in the butt a band is? Yeah, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I said, okay. I said, what are you going to call it? Well, we'll call it the Hank Colton Band. I said, the hell we will. <laughs> I said, I wouldn't name my child Hank. <laughs> uh, I said, but, and then it just, again, light bulb. What about Hank Cole? I said, everybody calls me Hank anyway. And Cole I said, Put them together. I said, that's kind of catchy. Yeah, it is kinda. Of, really and then catchy. all of a sudden another light bulb flashed. And said, I know the son of a bitch. <laughs> I said, so do what? I said, think about it. That block print I've got on my wall. I said, that's him. He's been hanging around in my head
3: since 1972.
1: <laughs> and that's when I did that block print. And so Hank actually kind of took a form. You know, I mean, there's not many people got an alter ego that actually has form.
0: Yeah, unfortunately actually... <laughs> I do understand that one.
1: <laughs> you could actually look at the guy, you know. But,
3: uh, and I don't remember
1: how the K came out. I think it was an accident with the, the way it was written with it all together. But I like the way that was written too. But uh, I've got somebody to now blame for, mistakes, you know, <laughs> and uh, and writing the songs so many times, that's something you and I were talking yeah. about. People don't really understand, I think. People think just, I, I guess, you know, a lot of people who don't write think songs just poof, come out. They don't.
0: No, they don't.
1: If they do, it's a rarity. Sometimes. I, I've sometimes got, got maybe, out of the 100 songs that I've got, maybe less than five to... <laughs> an hour to write. Sure. And the rest of them are just a, a, absolute labors.
0: Yeah, I understand. Uh, it's a craft, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you that's why it's called warsmithing. It is. You know. Uh, but uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, it, there's, people don't really understand what a musician has to go through to actually stand
0: up on stage and play. And you know, when you write songs, you also have a limited space to put that song in. You take up too much of that space, and nobody's interested. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've got a couple of them that are too long.
0: Yeah, we all do. You I know, mean,
1: but you, These are the ones that are like telling a story, right. and you've got to put so much you've in got there to tell that the story, story. You know. Yeah. Uh, basically, I mean, like three minutes is a good. Yeah. Pretty uh, much, pretty
0: much the standard. <laughs>
1: Standard, yeah. I mean, that's about the most you're gonna keep somebody's attention. It, unless, is, it know, is, unless you yeah. got something else to keep their attention. But uh, people don't realize that, though. I mean, and
0: and as with your story of the naked lady, sometimes you have to live life to continue yeah. writing. I mean, I mean, yeah. part of writing is, is okay. I wrote for a little bit, but I got to go live some more to to get. You know, that's true. The way it happens.
1: That's very true. I, I see things on the roadside uh,
0: uh,
1: good and bad uh, the naked lady yeah. uh, she's not there anymore no wife. I know mean she's not really. I, his ex-wife made it take her down oh, really yes
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> But <laughs> his <laughs> ex-wife. Yeah, ex-wife that's, right, that's a good
0: part of the story uh, yeah. at
1: least that's what he said anyway. <laughs> but uh, there was a <laughs> buddy of mine come by one day and said Man, you see that dead crow on the wire over there on 18 South? I said, Nah.
2: Gotta
1: take a look at that. A big old crow hanging upside down on that wire down there. And sure enough, right after you cross the state line, there's a big old dead crow hanging <laughs> that, that had grabbed on evidently to a live wire. Yeah, kept him and uh, just cooked him. And he stayed up there for like months. <laughs> and again, ride right by day in day out and all of a sudden something clicks you know uh so that's i call it the dead crow song but uh and it's it's that is a subtitle of uh, the highway songs
0: uh, oh yeah gotcha. you, right
1: as you see things going down the road that's that's the genre, the big genre. <laughs> and then you've got the subgenres of um, what they um, whatever they are.
0: Naked ladies and uh dead, dead crows. crows.
1: naked ladies <laughs> and stuff like that. That's uh, too cool. But uh, yeah, the the uh, just I mean stuff like that just is an inspiration. I do you mean,
0: co do you co-write?
1: I have some uh, Eddie and I have done some stuff. <laughs> he, as good a guitar player as he is and musician as he is, he says the only thing he can come out with when he tries to write is old baby baby. And <laughs> so uh, he's click like, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's the light bulb again. I wrote a song called Old <laughs> Baby Baby, you know. And uh, it's, it's pretty much a repetitious song.
0: Oh but, yeah, well that's but, kind but, you of know the it's idea kind of, of a bluesy
1: that. kind of thing, <laughs> you know. But uh, he and I've written a couple. Uh, I I take inspiration from suggestions people have. Yeah. Uh, we had a, the first album or first CD we put together. We put together uh, in a living room, and uh, pretty much all of it was done live one take. Every, every, in fact, both of these CDs are all live one live one take kind of things. Uh, but uh, Dusty Mode, he was a drummer we had one time. Uh, he, came, he I was working I I was sandblasting uh, for a monument company at the time, and uh, doing etchings on rocks yeah. and stuff like that. And I still do those. I don't do the sandblasting anymore. It's just too detrimental to my to my hearing. I can't hardly hear it now. But, uh, I started doing etchings back in 1998, I believe it was. Maybe may have been a little earlier than that. But, uh, I started doing those, and Dusty came in one day, and he said, you need to write a song called Etched in Stone. By golly, yeah. Yeah. And so, that ended up being the name of the first CD. And, uh... I love the lines in it, and we don't do it a whole lot anymore, but uh, I love the lyrics in it, and it's a pretty darn good song, Uh, but things like that, I mean, you just hear things in passing, and it's like, uh, and this is, this is one reason I think we have such a hard time with guitar players, because we're all, I'm all over the board as far as a lot of what I write. Mm-hmm. Uh, a blessing Joe and got got a curse. <laughs> Joe got me a daggum banjo A cover. It's not banjo, I'm sorry. It's a get Joe, Okay. Guitar, get jar. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I yeah.
1: call it a get show. It's a six string banjo. Yeah, right. And I know banjo players don't consider that to be a real instrument.
0: Well, yeah, we live in Cleveland County. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: you know, I can play it and I don't have to offer anything right. that I yeah, do. I understand, yeah. And I... therefore, I'm not getting my banjo chords, big right. stuff with my guitar chords. Guitar chords, yeah. Chords, yeah which I, I do know understand
0: that. I
2: would that. Do. Yeah.
1: But uh, he, he, I've got a couple songs now. But for several songs now that we've got, get Joey. Right. Uh, you know, uh, that's bordering on bluegrass anyway. any anyway you, yes, any you cut it. Uh, got rock and roll, got jazz, got country, uh, do not rap, do not thrash. Uh, it's not,
0: that's a song right there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she just wrote you another song. She wrote another. <laughs> you ever co-write? <laughs> co-write. <laughs> you ever co-write? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay.
1: Every once in
3: a while. But somebody uh, gives me a free line.
0: <laughs>
1: but, you know, that it, it, I understand, you know, you've got to have kind of a skewed personality to cope with all those different genres of music.
0: Yeah, it's hard, you know,
1: yeah. But uh, I've been fortunate enough to play with a couple, several really good guitar players. Uh, and like I say, you know, Hank Cole Band's kind of like the Marines. Once you play in Hank Cole Band, you always a Hank Cole one Band for member life. <laughs> for life. We had a party down at Capri several years ago. Oh man! And we put we put uh, everybody that had played with right. Hank Cole Band on the stage right. at one point. I picked the best songs that they played. Right and that was what they played. That know? sounds familiar. And it, was, it was pretty, pretty freaking awesome. Uh, but uh, the uh, as many as pe- people have gone through this group. Uh, I mean, I've I've had uh, all of, uh Justin Harper played yes. with us sometimes. Uh, like I say Dusty Modes played with us. Uh, Eddie Rose, uh, Tommy Tessenier, Glenn uh, Drake, I mean, yeah, now Mike uh, Mike Claprew and Joe Hinesley playing. Uh, we're going to do a uh, gig up here uh, Wednesday night, uh, the 10th of this month, uh, 10th of July, and it's going to be just three of okay. Uh Eddie's got a doctor's appointment for the arthritis, and. We, I try not to infringe on stuff I like that because, you know, yeah, uh, I want him healthy. But uh, at any rate, there's been a lot of people come through this thing, and this this gen, this this group, and I'm just amazed at they, what they've done with the music and so forth.
0: This is what you're going to do musically from this point forth, right?
1: Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean. I don't anticipate ever becoming famous or ever, you know, I would like to sell some songs, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's basically what it is. And, uh, you somebody asked me the other day, I said, well, what if somebody bought the song and then just decided to change the whole thing? Said, that's fine with me. I agree totally. I'm still going to play it the way I wrote it, right. you know. Yeah. I'm not going to pay you to play yeah, exactly. my song. That's right. not going to Exactly. That'll be in the contract if yeah. it ever happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when somebody gets a hold of a. It's like with with my art. I have very few original thoughts when it comes to art. Uh, when I do a monument, I'll, I'll ask the people, you know, well, what do you want to see? And I'm just the extension of that.
0: Of what they of, want of to, see. What yeah. to see.
1: Gotcha. Uh, you know, uh, so. That's the same way it is with, with writing the music in the sense that, you know, I, I don't have too many original ideas. They just come up from things that you see on the streets. I mean, you know, and, and people suggesting stuff. Songs like in real life. I did uh, had I was in here one night and the lady had a T shirt on that said, Run all night. I said, Wow. I said, You come we play over here the next time I said, I'll have me a song. That's a I call it a Texas swing song, which is one of the few that I've got like that. My wife said, "That sounds like Bob Dylan," and Joe said, "Hey, that sounds like Bob Dylan." Now you got the—that's a big difference, Texas <laughs> swing and Bob Dylan. Intonation is all is, 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 all in the intonation. It is, yeah, it is. But uh, so anyway, I mean, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's one of those things that I've. I plan on doing it as long as I can. Uh, my hearing is going bad, and that scares me the most is the fact that I may not one time be able to hear anymore. That, that is one it. of my
0: fears, and you know I think in our generation, that's a big fear with a lot of musicians. Uh, uh, hearing protection was not a thing no. that in I when we were coming no. up. They have it today in every industry, even bands. I yeah. I play with bands, and they got their their. Earphones in, right. or You know, but that's not something, and I'm sure you, uh, there's many people our age worry about hearing, particularly musicians. You know, it's uh, that shuts your whole world out, yeah. there, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like with me right now, ambient, I can't hear ambient noise, right? Well, so I have a hard time harmonizing, right? Anymore. Uh, vocally. Now, if I can hear myself, great, right? And if I can hear myself, that I can stay in tune. Right. And then it's up to you, or the person right. beside me, to do
0: their part right. I can sing harmony the same way, as long as I can hear it. Yeah. As long as I can hear the other person. See, now I don't- I, I okay. drift, though, if I, if I don't- I, 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 I won't
1: do that right yet. Right. Uh, right yet, anyway, it's not happened yet. But I'm anticipating it one of these days. At that point, I may end up having to quit. But until then, yep.
0: I tell you what, Hayne, you've been one of the most interesting people I've had on this show. <laughs> and we might even get you back to talk I about hope, some other I, stuff. I hope the bar was set high. <laughs> it was set pretty high. Uh, however, uh, songwriter, storyteller, par excellence. Well, I appreciate right?
1: that, I appreciate that.
0: Thank you for doing this.
1: Uh, thank you for asking me to. I appreciate Jamie Lettons.
0: Yes. Yes, another plug to uh, Dragonfly wine market here in shelby north carolina he he actually has live music live local music uh, it's a great venue come out see. one of the best listening rooms too it's great listening room in fact when are you here uh the 10th he'll be uh, this month okay july. he'll be here july 10th so that's a wednesday come out give it a listen all right i enjoyed oh, it thank you yes sir There's an extra song on here, and I'll let Hank Cole tell the story himself. Thank you for listening.
1: All right, uh, this is about the house I live in. Uh, my granddaddy raised the Cherokee Inn down in Blacksburg, South Carolina, and took those components and built the house with it. Oh, that's cool. And so, this is about that. Okay. okay. It's called Cherokee Inn, and it really should be a banjo song, and it is when we play it out. But we're not doing that we today. We All right, see if I can do this.
0: father of Americana music, at least in Cleveland County, Mr. Dow Athenson.
2: Thanks. <clears throat> to
0: the show.
2: Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I love talking about music, and talking about music. Where did where,
0: did, where did the love for music start with you? That's
2: as far back as I can remember. I can remember I was I was doing a pretty good Elvis impression at age six. Oh yeah, that's good. And uh, then as I grew up. Uh, I, of course, had the radio on all the time, and uh, I was a real big Ricky Nelson fan, uh, as was Elvis. Elvis thought that Ricky Nelson had the look and the voice that everybody should have, and uh, then later on, uh, I started uh, listening to late-night radio, WLS in Chicago, I could get them I could get them on a little transistor radio hidden beneath the covers uh, so my mother wouldn't know that I was staying up so late and uh, that's where I first heard the Beatles I believe uh, about 1963 or sometime and uh, so I just had a love of music and uh, coming on up through high school I, I, of course there was uh, the Monkees TV show, and there was Hullabaloo and there was Shindig. Before that, there was Hootenanny. I had a love of folk music too, so it was—I uh, didn't discriminate. <laughs>
0: I kind of came along with some of the uh, Arthur Smith for Breakfast crowd. Oh yeah, I
2: mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Arthur Smith and Fred Kirby were daily, daily watching fair
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I—I uh, I had to watch Arthur Smith before I went to school every morning. No. Uh, so <laughs> at what
0: point did you decide you were going to play music, as opposed to just listening?
2: Well it was only in in high school, well maybe about 8th or ninth grade, I decided I was going to be a drummer and I got a set of drums and tried to start little bands and failed. And uh, I never had really played guitar. I didn't know I had a, an old acoustic guitar, but I couldn't play it because it was so bad. Uh, and Bud McSwain invited me over to his house, and he had a red Fender Mustang, I believe, oh, yeah. and a and a Sears Silvertone amp. And uh, he showed me uh, he showed me Big Boss Man by Jimmy Reed yeah. on on there. And I didn't know I didn't know what Jimmy Reed was. And he he told me he said this is real rhythm and blues. And uh, (laughs) and it was it was something real that I'd never heard before, and so I got interested in in all kinds of blues and rhythm and blues and country and bluegrass and because every Saturday night we listened to Flatt and Scruggs on TV, Mm -hmm. Uh, both my parents and my wife's parents would have that on regardless. and, uh, of course, Grand Ole Opry and, and uh, various other shows, which left me thinking that there was no difference in music. I mean, if you were playing country or you're playing rock and roll or rockabilly or, or rhythm and blues or whatever you're playing, you're playing music. So that was, that was fine with me. Uh, But it was the real turning point was that with Bud McSwain, which showed me that you could have an electric guitar and you could play some pretty outstanding stuff. So I got me a $30, I bought it from Ronnie Ash, who sat behind me in the 10th grade. (laughs) It was an amp in case. The Silver Tone amp in case, single pickup. Uh, terrible guitar, although now they they sell for like oh, five, six hundred dollars a piece, uh, and I ended up selling it for thirty dollars. I wish I hadn't.
0: No, I must admit, I own one.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to have one now, but I don't want to pay what they want for it. I didn't pay for what they for it, uh, it Was it? Were you
0: still in high school at this time? Now,
2: still in high school and still trying to start a band, uh, desperately trying to start something and uh, Steve McCraw, who lives down the road here, I got him to play my drum kit and, okay. and I played uh, guitar and I borrowed a bass for my brother. He could he could play most anything, but he just didn't have an interest in it really. Uh, not, not like I did, like uh, wanting to be uh, cutting edge, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what were
0: you doing when, when you guys were putting this
2: together? Um, I remember our favorite song was Hang On Sloopy by the McCoys, <laughs> uh, which we thought was just really, really cool. But uh, uh, Doug Benson, was, was he was in my high school class, and he played lead guitar for me. Uh, but
0: Doug Benson, by the way, is the loudest guitar player I've ever played with in my life. Just that in. <laughs> well, in <case.
2: laughs> I've played with a couple louder ones since then, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the music bug never left me. And uh, Bud went off to the Air Force, so uh, he was my mentor, <laughs> and so I lost contact with him about 1967. And and uh, I went off to well, I went to Gardner Webb a year and. I didn't find anybody over there that knew music like, like I knew music. And I uh, went to Appalachia and I still did, couldn't, didn't connect with anybody up there. Although, summer of 68, I met uh, one of my best friends, Scott DeBrule, and and another friend from, they both went to Chase High School, um, Sharman Tate, who now, he lives in the Raleigh area, and he plays all the time. It's Shakin' Sherman and the Sheetrockers or <laughs> shaking Sherman and the DTs or, or something like that. But I met these two guys at a summer job in 68, and I realized that they like music the way I like music, that uh, they knew that music meant something beyond just a yes. clever tune and uh, 12 notes. So... Uh, I hooked up with them in 68 and we've been friends ever since, although uh, I didn't... I had a little folky uh, act, which I tried to do in college, which had a harmonica holder and a guitar and, uh, and a strong Bob Dylan influence, <laughs> but uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, I played a double bill one night with Alicia Bridges when she was a folkie. <laughs> that, that, that,
0: uh, oh, that's really good. So she was a folk singer. <laughs> so uh,
2: I usually met Alicia Bridges at some Methodist youth uh social <laughs> thing. That's funny. In the, in the in the fellowship hall of some Methodist church. But later on she became Queen of Disco. She did. Um and I'm sure she doesn't remember <laughs> anything we did. Um, but it, it never did develop into much although I was constantly in contact with these other guys from Chase. I mean there, it turned out there was a pack of them, about eight or ten of them, who loved music and uh, loved to go to concerts and uh, back then uh, the biggest thing I ever went to was Jubilee in Chapel Hill. Yeah. I had a chance to go to that twice and I thought well that's just wonderful. That uh, wonderful actually. We, we got to see I saw Paul, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, I saw the Johnson Brothers, I saw the Mad Dog and the Englishman tour with Leo, uh, Leon Russell and uh, Joe Cocker. Uh, uh, so I was just I was just in heaven hanging out with these guys uh, from Rutherford County, and still hang out with them. <laughs> uh, but I'll have to get to that later. Um, then Bud moved back to Cleveland County, uh, and after being in the Air Force for four years, and we hooked up together, and we uh, started playing. You know two or three times a week just messing around I mean we were just entertaining ourselves because this is like the early 70s and we were had not made a lot of money so (laughs) that was our entertainment was we played songs for each other and uh, then later on Bud went to work at the Volkswagen place and they started having a a picking every Friday night at the Volkswagen place after it shut down so that started getting more and more popular, and uh, then we met Mitchell Self, yeah. and he he joined in with us, and and uh, we were we were enjoying ourselves, just just not with with no ambition. Right. Um, and one day we went to see this band called Smoking Grass. Yeah. With uh, we knew Richard Waldrop, yeah. who was in it, and there was Art Brooks and Dale Britton and couple other guys. Anyway, they were doing New New Grass Revival. I mean, they were like letter-perfect New Grass Revival covers. Uh, Of course, the New Grass Revival were covering things like uh, the Beatles and uh, Bob Marley and (laughs) so uh, uh, Mitchell and Bud and I decided that we could do that too, only we would do something a little bit different. We had been listening to all kinds of other music. Other
0: than bluegrass, yeah,
2: bluegrass. all kinds of country and rock and roll, and and uh, but we liked the bluegrass format, the new the newgrass revival format, and uh, so we got together and, and first uh, we had Ronnie Love, who's one of those Rutherford County guys, to play banjo for us, and. Uh, I got my buddy Steve McCraw that lives down the road here to play bass. He didn't even own a bass, but uh, we we finally he got a bass and we got a bass amp, and so uh, we had a complete ensemble there. Mitchell played mandolin and, and Bud, Bud played guitar, and uh, we thought, yeah, yeah, this is going to work. And then Ronnie had to quit and so we got our eyes on david martin, oh, david, martin. david martin was playing with brushy creek and they were playing traditional bluegrass and we kept telling david you know traditional bluegrass is great but there's something else you need to do and we knew david he could play uh, fiddle he could play dobro he could play uh, mandolin yep. guitar he could play anything he picked up and uh so we finally talked him into joining us <laughs> and uh and that was the the let's Honk yeah. that started out uh and we got the name because uh yeah, I was ask you
0: where, the, where,
2: did where the name came from was when we were at some of those late night pickings either at the volkswagen place or at our houses or wherever we were picking after about midnight we say, "Okay, let's honk," <laughs> and uh, so honking became a. Uh, I mean, uh, the guys I play with now they still say, "Let's do some honking." Yeah. Oh yeah, well, I
0: mean that's that that was the saying around
2: here for a pretty good while. Let's honk. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and we went we went on like that for a while. Uh, Later on, we added Randy Randy Saxon yeah. on electric guitar. He could play a Telecaster like nobody's business. And David Roof, who had been a veteran of various bands around here, he, he joined us on drums. And uh, then I, I, I sort of had my vision complete, because when I started out, my vision was not being like Newgrass Revival, but being like the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Ah, yeah, OK. Because the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, they would play rock and roll, and then they would play bluegrass, and then they'd play hardcore country. And and then they would mix it all together and uh, play folk music or or whatever. Whatever came to mind, and I thought, well, that's what you ought to do. That is what you should do. You should play anything that comes to mind. And uh, so I guess that's uh, why we're considered ahead of our time because uh, that's what Americana is today. I
0: mean, you were one of the first uh, bluegrass format bands I saw with the Telecaster um, <laughs> and with drums. So,
2: yeah, it's, it It seemed to me to be the thing to do.
0: Also, your set list. Well, just give me a rundown of what maybe your, one of your set lists would include. Okay.
2: Well, uh, we did do some originals. Uh, Mitchell was a good writer. Uh, But our set list might start off with The End Is Not In Sight by The Amazing Rhythm Aces, and then we'd switch to Long Black Veil, which is a uh, a traditional country song, but we played a version which was like four times faster than the original <laughs> so that people could dance, and we played uh, July, You're a Woman, which was a song by John, John Stewart. Yeah. Uh, we played, we'd cover the Eagles, we'd cover uh, hardcore country, like She Thinks I Still Care, which is George Jones' tune. Uh, then we would play some we didn't mind playing a traditional bluegrass or two but but we would jam it up <laughs> uh, so um, and then we we got started getting bookings uh, just small parties at first and then we started playing bars we played Buffy's Buffy's up in Tryon, which we really liked playing up there and we played a bar in Spartanburg called Mickey's uh, we played the coal yard in York. Uh, playing that gig got us a gig at the beach, playing in a biker bar, which was, <laughs> that was kind of risky. But uh, we played the old prospector in Charlotte. And we had we had this set of bars that were kind of in the area. Uh, of course, we played stuff in Shelby too uh, as well.
0: Yeah, do you had a pretty following in this town yeah almost, almost a cult John grateful <laughs>
2: type of yeah I know we would we would be in some foreign city like Spartanburg and see all the same people show up down there you know it was it was kind of kind of uh shocking really i didn't didn't realize this was was going to happen, but I enjoyed it a lot <laughs> don't get me wrong but uh I guess the the best thing that happened to us was we got hooked up with Steve Metcalf and Green Acres.
0: Oh, yes, I do know about
2: Green Acres. Oh, Green Acres was the place to be. It was the place to be. <laughs> uh, We saw a lot of good shows up there and participated in a lot of good shows. And we were kind of like uh, the cancellation uh, sure thing. If, if somebody from... Uh, Nashville or wherever couldn't show up like they were supposed to. Let's Honk could could jump up there, and the show went on. <coughs> I guess our biggest uh, thrill at Green Acres was we got to open for Newgrass Revival one time, and actually did the sound for them, and and then uh, went to the after party with them. <laughs> so uh, we we really thought we were in High Cotton at that time.
0: I, I'm sure you did. Uh-huh.
2: And uh, so I'm forever grateful to Steve Metcalf for for uh, having faith in us. And and uh, thing, things went on like that for a while. And uh, then I had two little girls that uh, I felt like I needed to spend more time with. And uh, of course we all had full-time jobs and we were staying out till two in the morning. and and then getting up <laughs> and going to a job the next day um so it got to be too much to do on a on a regular basis i mean uh, so I just had to slow it down and and we did we did a few more gigs, reunion gigs and all like that and uh and uh, stayed friends and and enjoyed music uh for for several years, and then, of course, Bud passed away, and, uh, and David uh, has had some health problems, and uh, uh, Randy went on to play with David Childers, <laughs> so so. Uh, and
0: I think uh, David Roos in uh, Florida. Somewhere. Yeah,
2: David Roos in Florida. Steve McCraw moved to Spartanburg, and he's he's got a. Uh, a recording studio down there, Apple Tree Music, which he enjoys doing, and he plays with a band occasionally called Motherload. He's still a great bass player. Uh, and what have you done since then? I mean, well, Mitchell and I, uh, we went over to the Dragonfly yeah. one night, and uh, there were some guys playing over there, and, and uh, we thought, well shoot, We can play (laughs) over here. I had a sound system and, you know, we had all our instruments and mics and stuff left over. And I said, well, why don't we go over to the Dragonfly and do a duo? And so we did that for a while, uh, playing some of the same, similar stuff. Uh, And then Mitchell, he moved to Atlanta so he could be close to his grandkids and didn't blame him for that. And uh, so I floundered around a little bit, but I was still friends with these guys in Rutherford County who occasionally, they weren't all still in Rutherford County, they were in various places, but I I was still friends with them. And uh, uh, I met one, uh, Michael Sperling, I met him in college, uh, 1968 and uh, we were still friends so he said come on up we play in the basement every now and then Uh, and uh, ronnie love our old banjo player he was he was part of it and then several other people that i knew uh who had been in various bands various times they uh we just started playing in the basement for fun and uh then they said well, we can get a gig over at Barley's Tap Room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I've been doing. That's what you doing now? Uh, is uh, occasionally, maybe every two months or so, we go over to Barley, Barley's Tap Room, and we're the cancellation band for them too. If if <laughs> if they can't can't get a band together.
0: Uh, well, it's great that you're still doing this after all these years. I mean, some people play for a little while and yeah. disappear.
2: I like I like it so much because well for one thing i think that music that we played shouldn't get lost you know and uh i i probably enjoy it more now than ever before because there's no pressure i can just play what i want to play and uh that's good
0: that's real good did uh did, did your do- do-
2: didn't your daughter sing some too did you do some stuff with them yeah uh, my daughters are real real good singers I mean real uh, they do that sister harmony and my mm-hmm. granddaughter she's probably the best singer oh. of all she just turned 25 uh, but uh, so I'm an uh, old guy um